We are certainly in no shortage of options when it comes to shopping. And honestly, that's kind of become part of the experience. Wading through a sea of choices, the excitement of finding that one thing that checks all your boxes, the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Because at the end of the day, even the perfect purchase can be made even better with great deals. And that's where Rakuten comes in. Rakuten helps you get the brands you love with the most savings and cash back. You can start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Levi's, Kiehl's, and Petco, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The concept is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. It's truly a win-win, because you can shop all these amazing brands in one place and save money while you do it. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hey folks, just a heads up that today's episode includes a conversation about pregnancy and miscarriage. So keep that in mind before you listen. Welcome to Care Talkers. We're your hosts. I'm Anita Flores. And I'm Sanjina Tian. And today we are going to be talking about pregnancy. Uh, I think it's very important to mention, Sandrine, how long ago since you had your baby? Three weeks ago today, actually. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Honestly, we, and I'm being very honest with the listeners. We've we've done multiple uh, recordings over the last two years, so I I can't remember if we've even told the listeners that you're pregnant. Oh no, we we actually <laughs> we did. did. I do remember. I don't remember what episode, but we, there is an episode. <laughs> Hopefully, that comes out before this. Could you imagine? It will. It will. <laughs> that would wow. Wouldn't that be crazy? Okay, no, I'll note that in my head. Uh, make sure this comes out after whatever episode you said you were pregnant. Well. Sandrine, congratulations. You're back on mic after 
months, three weeks. Yes. That technically counts perhaps as less than a month. Um, how many how many hours of sleep have you had? You have a new baby. So what are we talking here? Oh man, it like it's like increments of sleep, mind you. Um, so as of this morning, probably two hours. Wow. <laughs> and you seem you seem awake right now. Yes, and that's thanks to <laughs> coffee, which uh, yeah, thankfully, but um it's it's hitting a little differently for some reason since I gave birth. Um, I mm. love coffee, but now I, I don't know what happened. My taste buds for coffee in particular is a little off. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> is it is it possible because while you were pregnant and listeners, I have no experience getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm new. Everything I learn about pregnancy, I learn from my friends who have had babies <laughs> or are trying or are trying to have babies. Um so did you have to give up caffeine during your pregnancy? No. And, you know, that's a common oh. myth. Um, I believe I want to say you're allowed to have between 200 to 300 milligrams a day of coffee while pregnant. <laughs> Some people will say no. Some people say it's OK. I get a lot of like, oh, my God, why are you drinking coffee? I actually got that in the DMs a few times. Ooh. Yes. because um, Annoying. Yes. <laughs> I, I love my coffee. It's how I function in the morning. Um, yeah. you know, I have a very, uh, stressful job. So <laughs> I need the coffee. And you're up early? Yes. And I'm up early. So like, yeah, I need that. And I, I'm not drinking it like all day long, but like if I have one or two cups of coffee, it's okay. My OB was like totally fine with it. And, but so it sounds like you at least had to like, um, it sounds like you maybe you were having less yes, while you were definitely pregnant. like one cup a day. And honestly, it wasn't even a full cup. I would do like half a cup, um, sometimes maybe a quarter of a cup just to have that like fix. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And as a, a an expert in <laughs> a, m- m- nothing almost, uh, my theory is maybe because you weren't drinking it as much. Now you're like, whoa, that's true. Now I'm drinking it. It's weird. You I don't know. know. I didn't but, think like about you that. just haven't had it in a long time. Yeah. I'm no doctor. I'll <laughs> say that repeatedly f- uh, for everyone. So you've been on qu- quite a ride. Uh, and, b- b- you know, I-, I have lots of questions about pregnancy, but I feel like it's very important that we talk about the experience you just went through. So uh, just as it started off, <laughs> even as the person who, again, not having the baby, but we had plans to see each other in person <laughs> for the first time in like over a year. Yes. And then the baby, it's, uh, then we started texting and uh, you sent me a text, you know, what now, five, four or five weeks ago. Yeah. I, I want to say four weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, I think it said that you were, no, you didn't go into labor early. It was, no. T- tell me about it. Okay. Yes. Yes. Start, so, yeah. um, you know, for the listeners, um, just so you know, I, about like starting in June. So let me backtrack a little bit. My original due date, uh, for pre- pregnancy was August 20th. So that was always the plan was that I was going to give birth around that time. You know, I guess it just happens naturally where you go into labor and all that stuff. And I know nothing because I've never gone through this before. And, um, starting in about June and it seemed as though it, the timing um, it happened as soon as I got into the third trimester where I was having some issues with my blood pressure 
And um, I, I went to like my OB appointments, just my normal prenatal care. And they were noticing that my blood pressure was on the higher side. And I normally run high, but like high for me is like 130 over 80 or something like that. It was in the 140 over 90. And on top of that, they found that I was uh, what they call leaking protein in my urine, which is like all these different like, you know, health related um complications mm. when stuff like that starts to happen. Mm -hmm. So my OB recommended that I go back to the high risk uh, team, which is affiliated with the hospital that I was due to give birth at. And um, the last time I had been there was for my 20 week scan, which is just normal. And when I say high risk, I'm high risk because I have pre-existing conditions as well as my age, I'm 40 mm -hmm. um, and experiencing a first time, uh, pregnancy, right? So um, they had me linked with the high-risk team from the very beginning of my prenatal care and all was well up until this June time where I hit the third trimester. And my, in the midst of all this, uh, my doctor had suggested that I go for a cardiology follow-up with uh, like someone who specializes in like pregnancy and hypertension related mm -hmm. issues. So the plan was for me to go there, which I did. I, it was a normal day for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I actually drove, it was quite a bit of a distance from my house. And for some reason, when I made the appointment, I did think it was odd that I had to go so far. It was about a 45 minute drive. And I'm like, why am I driving to Long Island? I live in Queens all the way to this place for this appointment. But apparently this was the only place that had a uh, appointment as soon as possible. Mm. And, um, you know, there was quite an urgency in this. And at this point I was 32 weeks pregnant. The whole idea is that with, uh, these kinds of issues, things can progress very quickly. So I ended up going to the doctor, this cardiologist who did not know me, he saw me and my blood pressure was 189 over 119. That's high. Right? Yes, that is That's very, high. very high. Yeah. Mind you, the night before, because I do self-monitor at home because my OB was recommending throughout my whole pregnancy, I was always monitoring, but she insisted that I continue to monitor. And to the point that even my MFM uh, team, which is the maternal fetal medicine, AKA the high risk team also had encouraged that I continue to monitor my blood pressure daily because again, things can progress very quickly. Mm. So the night before I had taken it, I think it was like 133 over like 80. So again, nothing crazy, not horrible. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, that was quite a significant jump. And the cardiologist was super concerned, did not know me, started talking about his experience with his uh, wife who was 40, um, who just had their last baby. He said, baby number four was it for them. What, number and, four? Oh my God. Yeah, right? I know, I can't even imagine. Oh my God. <laughs> and then he started talking about his sister who had just experienced preeclampsia. Now, preeclampsia has a lot of indications, which is what they were super concerned about once I started leaking the protein in my urine. Because again, um, this is something that can lead to like all these different uh, complications in your pregnancy, which includes like organ failure, oh my gosh. death, sorry, but it's true. It's okay. Um, yeah, as well as uh, your, uh, your, your baby like 
you experiencing like stillbirth or, or, you know, all these kinds of things. So, and me being in healthcare, I already knew these things. So it was always one of my biggest fears. So I'm the type of person, I'm a straight shooter and I expect all of my providers and doctors to be straight with me. So I'm very much like, give it to me straight. Tell me what's up, what's going on. So that was the conversation I was having with the cardiologist. Again, meeting me for the first time, he didn't know what to do. And he was just like trying everything to like get me like more calm, like deep breaths. Um, He brought me snacks. I mean, they were like so amazing. Like his staff really, I mean, really and truthfully went above and beyond. I can't even like, I I feel like just being a black person, knowing the maternal health statistics in our country, Mm. it could have gone a different way. Mm. And to know that it didn't, because what he did behind my back without me realizing, I'm so grateful that he did, because I feel like most people probably probably be super upset. He actually Mm. called my OB and the high-risk team to be like, Sandrine is in my office for the first time. These are her blood pressure readings. I don't know what to do. Wow. And so he called, made all these calls. And apparently there was already this, um, there was already the ambulance called because they're uh, like, as in like, I was not going home. I was going straight to the hospital. These arrangements had been made. Um, and he finally came to me and at, at some point, like, cause he kept checking the blood pressure to see like what it was. And I guess with all of this, it just kept going higher and higher because at this point, mm-hmm. you know, your body is in like, uh, what's the word? Like flight or, flight or flight? Right, right. Yeah. So it's like in that mode. And, um, so he was just like, yeah, you're going to the hospital, call your husband. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and um meanwhile I I'm I'm like talking to my uh one of my coworkers who's like my amazing friend and I'm like texting her like this is what's happening. I can't believe this cuz I thought I was just taking the day off to go to a routine doctor's appointment. <laughs> yeah. And here I am um on my way to the hospital. Can you just tell our boss like I don't know what's going to happen but I'll probably be home. I'll probably be home by tonight or tomorrow. I'm sure. Like I'm taking this so casually, Anita. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess at a certain point, I it's probably it doesn't help to not do that because, like you were saying, now I, I don't know anything about high. I, I have the opposite problem. I low <laughs> blood pressure has caused me to faint in the past. Yes. So with hi, with high blood pressure, you were saying, you know, your cardiologist was like, I don't know what to do, and was giving you snacks. So like, and you mentioned the fight or flight thing. So does part of you know, the high blood pressure, and I'm not sure if you know the answer to this, but it just getting higher, does that have to also do with being like stressed by the situation? Like, does that also increase? So I do feel like um, a lot of medical people uh, may not agree with white coat syndrome. And I brought this up repeatedly to different providers throughout uh, my pregnancy journey because I'm one of those people, um, I can take my blood pressure at home and it'll be like kind of normal. Now I normally run high because I'm, I am I have high blood pressure. I'm just going to tell the listeners that. Um, but it's it's been kind of sort of controlled because I've been on medications and it was working for me up until uh, recently with the, uh, with the third trimester. And so for me uh, with the anxiety of going to the doctor and just being like 
measured and just like them taking my yeah. blood pressure, like kind of like stresses me out. And my mom goes through this and I've seen it happen repeatedly. <laughs> um, that I was just like, okay, this has to be it on some level. But, um, and, and my doctor did acknowledge that, but he was like, no, Sandrine, this is not, they're like, you know, 10, 10 degrees up or something. Maybe I could say, okay, but these are like scary numbers. Like these are numbers where, you know, many things can happen. Like you can have a stroke. And the other thing I I have to mention is that I was having no symptoms, no headaches. They say you're supposed to have like swelling in your lower extremities. Um, you're supposed to also have, um, what else? Um, pain in your upper right abdomen. None of this was happening. So, and high blood pressure is also known as a silent killer. And I know this. So I was like, Oh no, I'm not going to disagree with whatever he tells me to do. I'm going to just do it. And, um, I had faith in him because I was recommended to go to him by the maternal fetal medicine team at the hospital. So they had given me, and this was already the team that you were working with. Yes. Correct. Who then recommended this cardiologist? Yes, yes, correct, okay. correct. And my OB had said you need to see a cardiologist. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I did write that down because you know you've mentioned a few times like how lucky you are. You feel like you were really taken care of. The fact that you have a, a had a team. I was like, ooh, a team. <laughs> that sounds that sounds good. Um, but it sounds like the the beginning of this started with the fact that you already had like a good doctor. Yes, it sounded yes. Like. So that's. That's a I guess that I don't know. Is that a tip? Have a good. Doctor. Yeah, I, I. But if you start with a good one, chances are then you continue to then have more good. Doctors, yes. Yes. Like. And I do think um, just being fully transparent with, um, you know, some of the struggles, because like my doctors would always ask, are you going through anxiety? Are you stressed? And I'm like, well, I have a lot of stress, like in general, like I'm a, a caretaker for like my mom. That is one thing. I'm also a social worker in healthcare. I'm also working during a pandemic. Um, I may or may not be exposed to COVID on a daily basis. Like, you know, all these things are happening. Yeah. Things aren't just, you know, easy, you know, and this is Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Like right now we're in very sensitive times. And apparently when in going through this experience, I'm talking to other women and other um, people in the medical field as well who say that all of this is very common and it's actually scary how common uh, preeclampsia is becoming. Like it's like one of my friends who's a labor and delivery nurse for over 20 years is saying like, this is like the flavor of the month, it seems these days. And I'm like, Mm. wow. And is there any thought process of like, why it's becoming more common? Not really. Um, and it was interesting because even when I was checked in at the hospital, the woman uh, who was doing my intake laughed when I said, oh yeah, I'm going home like tonight, right? She was, she laughed because she's like, ha, you think you're going home? <laughs> um, no, you're going to be admitted, sweetie. And um, kind of like, this is like really common. Like everyone here is kind of going through the same thing right now. Like wow. everyone was referred to um, come here because of their blood pressure issues. Just to backtrack too. So because I work in the, in the hospital system that I gave birth at, I don't work like at the hospital at all, but I work for the same system where I delivered at. And um, they knew that in my chart. Um, and also I'm, I'm very vocal about 
everything. I'm, I'm a very fully transparent person. Anita, you know this about me. <laughs> um, maybe I overshare. It's a, it's a, it's a, no, it's a great quality. I, I too love to, I love to overshare. <laughs> yeah. It makes things a lot. Um, what's the word? I don't know. Maybe you could help me out with this. Like maybe makes things a little bit more smoother uh, for me. I don't know. I don't know. I love transparency. I think it's great. I, cause if any, if, if I've learned anything, well, all right. It, I think in a situation where you're having a child, I'd say it's even more important transparency and being honest and open. Before I forget, you you mentioned a term before. I think you said white coat syndrome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What is that? So that is where your blood pressure, and I, I'm not a medical uh, person as far as a doctor or anything like that. I'm just talking by my own experience, of course. And um, so white coat syndrome is where your blood pressure goes high, like in situations where you're at the doctor's office, which is why it's hence the name white coat syndrome. Like, normally doctors wear white coats. As in like it's reactionary? Yes. And you're correct. like, it's like nerves. Like, oh, yes. That's correct. that's hard. That yeah. I, I, I know it's not the same thing I get. But I'm like, when you say white coat syndrome, I'm like, is that anxiety? Because like. I can relate yeah. to that. The idea yeah. that just the sight of a doctor being yes. in a hospital is like stressful as fuck. <laughs> oh yeah. Hell yeah. And so intimidating. And yeah. So, yeah. So much. And I, it, it, I'm guessing since you had a team of doctors and you were in the hospital for a while that you were being seen by teams as in <laughs> like, was it like a thing of, like, I remember when I had surgery, mm-hmm. it was definitely intimidating. Like often oh, yeah. when a doctor came to see, always actually when a doctor came to see me they were never by themselves and I was at NYU (laughs) which I think is a teaching hospital yes it it is like you know four students Mm -hmm. with the doctor like the doctor with another doctor and it was yeah it was very strange definitely made me feel like a specimen (laughs) (laughs) I I can relate to that on so many levels because I also gave birth at a teaching hospital so same thing um so when I was admitted I go into like what I guess is like triage situation and they literally had like this team of doctors come in including one of the um doctors that had seen me on one of my telehealth visits from the high-risk team And she's like, Sandrine, I didn't expect to see you here. (laughs) And here she is with a bunch of students. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is like a lot. And they sent also they sent someone from my OB practice, which I was surprised because I had already had the conversation with my OB that she no longer delivers at the hospital. I think I may have told you this on the side at some point when we were talking that she doesn't do deliveries anymore at the hospital. They have like an associate uh, from another practice that they work with. And I, and then, so I was like, wait, you're from my OB practice. I didn't even expect you guys here either. Like, huh? <laughs> it was like, it was weird. Like it was almost like, yeah, like you said before, like you're a specimen. I legit felt like I was a specimen and they took my pressure and it was really high. And I was like, of course it's high because you guys are stressing me out. <laughs> I was saying that. Yeah. Oh, I know I you know I remember we were texting while you were there and like like you know my experience in the hospital have been surgery and then having passed out and food poisoning and I remember just being very bored so I was I remembered you I was asking you about if you had a TV 
your room seems pretty nice and you had and you had a private room i was like yeah yay i'm glad you got a private room i know i was shocked i was really really surprised i felt like a celebrity it's almost like what did i do to deserve this but yeah it turns out um all the rooms on what they call the um uh i was i was in different rooms throughout my stay because of all the different complications and concerns of the pregnancy um but Apparently, the antepartum unit is the unit where you go for uh, either you've, uh, you're you on bed rest um, or you have just given birth. It is all private rooms, and it's really, really nice. I thought it was a COVID thing, but no, they're all private, which I was like, oh, this is nice. So you, so you did get admitted to the hospital. Yes. And then what happened? So um, a series of things, apparently. A lot of things happened, um, yeah. Yeah, but um, so initially I was on the labor and delivery floor in the event that my blood pressure was to the point where um, they had to do an emergency C-section. Um, they wanted me there because that's like where they can just go into immediate action in case something happens. Um, also, let me just say that I was on a lot of medications. Um, I was on something called a magnesium sulfate drip, which is the equivalent to being hungover and high at the same time. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I don't recommend it at all. I mean, obviously it's recommended for a good reason because it works, but you're literally like in a fog. It's almost like you're in an outer body experience. And because of my complications, I had to have that a series of three times during my hospital stay. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it was quite the experience. And uh, my husband, thankfully, never left my side. Like he was oh. able to stay overnight, oh. even during COVID, so which glad. I'm very grateful and appreciative yeah. for. Like he had a pullout couch, oh. recliner situation, like the whole thing. I mean, the staff was amazing amazing those nurses incredible um and at one point they were able to get me stable enough so that I could go on the antepartum unit which I thought oh okay I'm gonna go home right I'm gonna go home I worked it out with work that I could work and also um you know take some classes to kind of just pass the time so to speak because um at that point I had found out that I was going to be on bed rest for the next two weeks Mm. at the hospital I thought I was going home but they were like Oh, no, no, no. You're going to be here for two weeks. And I was like, what? (laughs) Now, can I, I have an insurance question. Yes. Two weeks. Mm -hmm. I, uh, (laughs) I remember and and bless this friend of mine who is Mm -hmm. as worried about money and getting screwed over as I am. I had a friend who came to visit me uh, after I had, after post-surgery after mm-hmm. I'd had a, a benign tumor removed from my uterus. And she's like, well, how long are you going to be in here? Because uh, <laughs> you better be careful, you know, if it, because, because I at that yeah. point was using a catheter and they were they said you're not allowed to leave until you can pee on your own. Because if you have to be sent home with a catheter, that's not going to be good. And if you go home with your own catheter, you're probably going to get a UTI. So I was super stressed out because I was like, I need to pee. I need to pee. And, it, you know, and so and then my friend. I love her, but she did stress me out because she had me worrying if I didn't get out of the hospital that I was going to get charged all this money. So I'm just curious, two weeks in the hospital, mm-hmm. did, did you, do you, you have a kind of insurance that like covered that or like? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I haven't gotten a bill yet, so I don't okay. know. I don't, <laughs> don't want to jinx it, but I will say, cause my coworker and I talk about this all the time. We have like the top tier insurance, um, 
we're very blessed. I'm just going to say that. Thank goodness. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. And I, I was telling my friend that throughout this whole experience, because, because I'm high risk, right? I have not had not one copay. And w- when I say high risk, that comes along with many different labs, uh, meaning having regular blood work drawn, um, going to the doctors constantly, having lots of sonograms done, seeing all these various providers, telehealth visits. I mean, you name it. I literally had like an appointment like all the time. Um, and, you know, again, I understood why, you know, they wanted to make sure that this pregnancy was going to be a viable pregnancy because of my age and again, because of my pre existing um, conditions. Just, just as a precaution, I had to do all these things, and never once have I gotten a bill. So, I to say that, I say all that to say I'm truly blessed <laughs> to have good insurance. Yeah, I'm curious if you feel like your experience, especially because you've mentioned, um, or like you know, according to the CDC, Black uh, American Indian and Alaska Native women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women in this disparity increases with age. That's from the CDC website. Uh, So I'm curious what you think about that. Like, why is, why do you think it's happening? In your case, you know, you've said many times you feel like you were very lucky. And to me, that implies that there are other women, unfortunately, perhaps black women who are not as lucky. So what are your thoughts? What, why do you think that is? So, and I can even say, just to say as well, like even the Latinx community as well are deeply affected. And I I don't know why CDC doesn't mention that, Mm -hmm. but um, racial disparities do exist. Mm -hmm. We saw that with COVID, but maternal health statistics, it's not a joke. You know, we're we're treated differently. Um, There's a lot of um, unconscious biases that happens with medical professionals and, um, Maybe there's not so much focus of this in the medical education field, which I'm hoping this changes uh, because it's really upsetting to know that. I, I mean, even statistically speaking, I don't know the numbers offhand, but I do know like even over this past year, there's been black women that have died um, after giving birth or during childbirth, um, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, there's just one story of this physician who died, um, during childbirth. And that was really, really upsetting. All of this is not lost on me. And knowing that I feel like people of color in general don't necessarily have that voice in, um, these spaces, particularly medical spaces where we can talk about like our fears or our feelings, or um, a lot of times we're seen as being uh, this word that I hate, which is uh, we're labeled as non-compliant because Mm. we may not agree with something that a uh, doctor or other medical provider might say, Um, Mm. you know, like all these different things. But uh, for myself, just knowing my, um, uh, my experience in healthcare um, as a professional and working with my clients, I'm a big, proponent of advocating for yourself, which is why I'm an oversharer. Um, <laughs> and I have been from the be- yes, yes. And I have been from the beginning. And I think that's what's helped me a lot. And I've constantly mentioned preeclampsia 
mm-hmm. um, to mm-hmm. my doctors, uh, mm-hmm. particularly my OB. I had very open conversations with her about it. She happens to be black. Um, mm-hmm. And I see, uh, and I've also seen the other um, providers in her um, practice because um, it's a group of women um, that work together. So I would see like this doctor on uh, this visit and then another doctor on this visit. So they all followed me pretty closely. Um, and what I also appreciate too, is that now, I don't know if you've seen this, um, Anita, in your experience, but they have like these web portals where like, they'll like literally update your chart in real time. And like, you can see like a summary of your visit. So I feel like if you saw, I read those reports all the time, like even, and I, I I don't encourage this, but I Google something that I don't understand. <laughs> Google is my nightmare yeah. for medical. I, I swear to God, anytime I type in, and it could be the simplest thing, cough, stomach ache. <laughs> I don't know if it's my brain, but it always leads me in a search to, it just is, it's like WebMD. I don't know. I don't know if it's there just to scare me, but it's always like, you know, cancer. Yes. Or, you know, I don't know. So I, I, I appreciate that you said that you don't recommend it. Yeah, I, I really don't because it's a very, it's a rabbit hole that you can go in and get very deep and you'll just go like, you'll at the end of it, you'll be like, oh my God, I'm dying or this and that and just have all these, uh, you know, notions about what I, yeah. it could be. And it's just, yeah. it's, the da- it's Yeah. The danger of Google to me, it's like, I'll admit the reason it's bad for me to do it is because I think. I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, yeah. so I'm looking for things to be wrong. Yes. And then in the case of you're pregnant, I would assume it sounds like, you know, you're constantly being told and be uh, made aware of all the things that could go wrong yes. and all the things you shouldn't do because this thing will go wrong. Oh, so yes. with that mindset, plus Google, yes. can it sounds like it could be a dangerous combination. <laughs> dangerous combination. But I have to say, like... And that's the thing what I appreciate with my doctors. Every time there was something, and, and this is what they would always say. If I don't call you, nothing's wrong. If I call you, something's wrong. So I would have like, and I'm seeing Dr. So-and-so's office. I'm like, oh crap, I got to answer it. I'm like, hi doctor. Like whatever I was doing, I would literally stop everything. Oh, and I'm like, oh God, <laughs> this is what's happening. And can I just say like, I've been open up you know, fully transparent about this experience, my whole journey. And I've done this with all of my people in my circle. Um, Just because I felt that it was important because I also felt like if something happens, you guys know, this is, this is, I told you this is what was going on. Like, you know, like just God forbid anything happened, like where things went left, Mm -hmm. um, that I knew that I express these things. So if you're going through something like this, or you're going through any type of health concern and you feel like your voice isn't heard, tell people in your inner circle. And I feel like a lot of us, especially people of color, we don't like to share these things. We tend to keep our uh, struggles private. I don't Mm. think that's good. I think even Mm -hmm. if it's like one or two people, don't tell the whole world. Understood. But Mm -hmm. tell key people in your life because it will make a huge difference. I do believe that. I, I mean, I was just uh, Im- amazed that, I mean, you were giving me, and I appreciated it, <laughs> you were giving me detailed updates and I, I yeah, and I, I and I, I guess to me, what, what, what does that teach me? You've got a lot of time to sit and, you know, be on bed rest. And yes. I would assume that gives you time. 
<laughs> to give everyone updates, but I really appreciated it, you yeah. know. Um, I, so you did mention that your OB happens to be black. Mm -hmm. Was that purely coincidental when you were going through your search? Oh, okay. So um, just to backtrack. So for me, I've known this particular doctor for 14 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she she's my regular OB that I'm sorry, OB. GYN doctor, GYN. I should say, right? GYN, gynecologist that I've seen forever, like started me on like my, uh, one of the, one of my first like birth control pills back when NuvaRing was around and all these things mm -hmm. and even had the conversation to be like, by the way, this might cause your blood pressure to go high or whatever. Mm -hmm. Not knowing that I would end up with hypertension later on in life. No, no idea that this was going to happen. So she knew me from the beginning. Um, and so I didn't expect to see different providers in her practice either, but that was a thing. Apparently when you're pregnant, um, many OBs, uh, practices do this. Apparently if they have like multiple doctors within that one practice, the idea is you see all of them in the event that your particular OB, mm -hmm. your primary OB, I should say, is not available to give birth to you. One of the others will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like a circle. You've got like a yes, circle correct. of people. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So um, I didn't actually, because I didn't go to full-term pregnancy, um, which is like 40 weeks. Um, I then, because um, I reached 32 weeks, I saw most of the providers, but not all the providers in the practice, but they all knew about my history. And again, this is where that portal comes in that I was mentioning before, where they all wrote updates in my chart. So I would see it in real time after the appointment. Um, like this is the summary. And so if there was any ever anything that I disagreed on, which I, there never was, I knew that I would uh, call them and say like, hey, why is this this way? Or why is that that way? But I will say like the follow up was incredible like because it was literally like you're gonna expect a call from so-and-so and then it would happen this one's gonna call you on this day and then it would happen like that kind of thing is what I experienced which again I know many other women uh may not have had that same experience yeah and I I have to, okay this is an assumption but I'm curious yeah. on your thoughts on this unfortunately I feel like oh it's it's because of how health insurance works in this country, would you say, like, if you say you don't have, as you described, very good insurance through your job, if you're somebody who is, you know, on Medicaid and having a baby, I would, would you say that's more difficult in terms of what your options are? Probably. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be surprised because remember with your um, insurance, depending on your insurance, uh, like Medicaid, for example, you have to go within a particular um, particular uh, provider that accepts Medicaid. Right. Not all providers accept Medicaid. Ooh. Like you might not be able to find Doctor So and So, who's maybe like the top like yep. OB or something. Yep of New York city, um, mm -hmm. that you can see that he, he or she may not accept Medicaid. Right. So then what do you do? You know, kind of thing. You just have to work um, your way down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Left. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I said, I'm blessed because my insurance is a PPO versus the HMO. So PPO gives you a lot more flexibility to see different providers. Whereas the HMO does not HMO. You have to see a set, uh, uh, group of providers within that particular network. Yeah, I would say just because of how many times I've gone back and forth between 
being employed versus unemployed, the my my journey of different doctors I've had, it's like we break up and then we get back together. Mm-hmm. It's like all the doctors I have when I have full-time work are doctors that I like and trust. And then I lose access to them when I'm unemployed. And then I have Ugh. to find someone else. And it's always harder to get an appointment, I would say. Um, yeah. And I would say the same for my father who has Medicare. Um, you know, it's definitely very frustrating some uh, in terms of what his options are for, for being seen. So to, that must be so scary if you're a pregnant and you don't get to say things like, I'm finding the top doctor, you know, and you have to be like, I have to get who I can get. So I am really happy to hear. It sounds like you had some really great doctors. Mm-hmm. Which I would like to come back to where we left mm-hmm. off. I would, I, I want, you know, I, I, I want to hear the end of your <laughs> of your birthing journey. So I think where we left off is that you were admitted to the hospital yes. for two weeks, um, and then what happens, Andrew? <laughs> so originally, like I said before, the plan was for me to be on bed rest for two weeks, and then they were going to induce, and the idea behind that was by then I'd be 34 weeks, which they felt um, had less uh, contraindications for the baby. Um, As far as like him being uh, okay, like not super premature, but kind of in a better standing if he comes later. However, my body had other plans. <laughs> yeah. um, so they got my blood pressure stabilized. And the idea was I was going to be stable for the rest of the two weeks. But that did not happen because they originally thought, well, OK, this is because her hypertension is just kind of just creating this like issue. Well, it turns out my um, team realized uh and you know they started doing blood work they were monitoring me i mean i was on like 15 minute blood pressure checks at one point i mean while i was sleeping my blood pressure was just slowly going up and maybe not slowly while you were sleeping yeah while i was sleeping i had a blood pressure so i had a blood pressure cuff machine on like connected to me like at all times the kind that's like cuts off your circulation on your arm yes yes so every 15 minutes oh that's my that's i hate that when you get your blood pressure taken i hate that thing i'm always i always want to be like it's too tight which i guess is the point but oh yes 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 exactly yeah so all of a sudden like people would just come in and be like are you okay do you have headache do you have swelling? Let me look at your legs. Um, let me do this. Let me do like all these questions. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I'm fine. That again, high blood pressure is considered the silent killer mm. known as the silent killer. So they were like, oh my God, we have to bring her back to labor and delivery floor. And I'm like, oh God. Okay. So that happened the first time. Uh, so the first night I was on labor and delivery, then they stabilized me. So I got onto the antepartum floor. Then it was decided bed rest for two weeks. But then as I'm sleeping, they noticed like, oh my gosh, her blood pressure is going up. Why is this happening? We need to bring her back to labor and delivery in the event that we have to do an emergency C-section. She needs to be like closely monitored Mm -hmm. because they have all the equipment there. Right. Um, Because even the idea of me being on the fourth floor versus the third floor was a big, was like, that was how urgent like things could go bad so quickly that I needed to be on the floor where in case things went left, 
I would have the entire team available to assist me right away and baby, of course. Wow. And um, so on the uh, third floor, which is the labor and delivery floor, they also have the ability to uh, constantly monitor the baby and see how he was doing, which I have to say, Gavin was doing great the whole time. He never showed any signs of distress, no issues. He was happy-go-lucky. I mean, great. I felt him moving all the time. Mm -hmm. So once they would get me stabilized, the idea is you get off the labor and delivery floor because they need that bed for someone else who might have a baby. So I had to go back to the antepartum floor. But then again, it would happen when my blood pressure started going up again. And I remember because I was in a fog. Remember, I'm on this IV drip magnesium thing where it's between like you being hungover slash high, mm-hmm. you're, you're like having this, like you're like, you're in a fog. I remember at five o'clock in the morning, this doctor came in at my bedside and I was in a fog, Anita. And this doctor who I'd never seen before, maybe I did. I don't even remember. <laughs> she comes. Blur now. <laughs> yeah. She comes and she pulls a chair next to me and wow. is like, Sandrine, this is not looking good. Oh my God. I'm like, Oh my God. Oh gosh. What a nightmare. And that's, yeah, and I'm like, is this a dream? Like, meanwhile, my husband's it's just a like, nightmare. God. Passed out. My husband's passed out. I don't even know that he knew fully what was going on because he's sleeping. And the doctor's like talking to me, and I don't remember the full conversation, but by 7 a.m., they decided, and uh, Marianne, who was my nurse at the time, um, was like, Sandrine, you're going back. I was like, what? I'm going back where? And I'm like, out of it. Yeah, you're going back to labor and delivery and I was like oh shit and I knew I knew something was happening mm-hmm. I knew that day because this by then this was Sunday 627 um and I had been in the hospital Wednesday mm-hmm. well this is now the third time I'm going back to labor and delivery since my stay there and I was just like oh my god I can't believe I'm going through this again then at 8 30 now this is the kicker one of the doctors from my OB practice comes in and she was the first of the doctors who noticed that my, um, I was leaking protein in my urine Mm. and she was like going over all the things. And she was like, Sandrine, things are not looking good. Mm. Like we're at the point that if we continue on this path, we risk losing you. Oh my God. So we have no choice. We want to induce you Mm -hmm. and we're going to, um, see like, okay, first the plan was for me to be induced and then maybe in a day or two I'd have the baby because the thought process was I was going to have a vaginal birth. Mm -hmm. But then when they checked, because initially when I was admitted, they they immediately did a sonogram to see where the baby was. Mm -hmm. He was in position to be delivered vaginally. Mm -hmm. By that Sunday, um, he was now in the transverse position that was not optimal uh, to be delivered uh, mm-hmm. vaginally. They then decided that they had to do a C-section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was induced about 8.30. Mm-hmm. And by 3.30, I uh, had the baby via emergency C-section. Mm-hmm. And um, he, um, so they had explained to me beforehand that um, I would see him for like a few seconds because he had to be immediately rushed to the NICU, which is the neonatal intensive care unit so that he can be closely monitored. Cause remember he is now preterm. So, mm-hmm. which they call uh, also known as a preemie baby. So he needed to be monitored because now he's 32 weeks and like uh, two days. Yeah. Sorry. So how yeah, early at this point is he? 
so premature. He, oh, so um, almost two months, like maybe seven, uh, maybe eight weeks. Eight weeks early. early. About yeah, it's forty. My early. math is awful. So okay. forty weeks is supposed to be uh, right, and he was thirty-two. And he was thirty-two weeks. Yeah. Uh, thankfully my you know my husband got to sit there with me and I have to just sit, share the story so I'm obsessed with medical dramas and <laughs> the medical team that delivered me including the uh, my OB she was awesome because she held my hand at one point <laughs> as I was given an epidural just to make sure I was okay um, and they were just so like so cool and funny and we were talking about medical dramas and my husband was like Oh yeah, my wife is obsessed. She watches <laughs> Grey's Anatomy, and he's naming all of them. And then one of the doctors, uh, maybe it might have been the anesthesiologist, and I don't know if this is comfortable for any of you folks out there, but for me, it was very comforting because then he's like, "Yeah, do you watch The Good Doctor?" And I'm like, "Yes, I love The Good Doctor," <laughs> you know. And it's like we're talking about all the different ones that like I watch, and it just gave me such. I don't know, reassurance or some sense of, of just like, I'm in the right place and I'm in good hands and my baby's going to be okay. And I'm going to be okay. Like that was literally how I was feeling. And um, he came out and they said, it's going to literally be like a tug, tug, tug. And he's going to come out. We're going to show you him and he's going to be taken away. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds so awful. Um, but your husband can go with him. So I was like, okay, great. So, um, thankfully Eric got to go straight to the neonatal uh, unit as soon as, um, I gave birth and I was then sent over to the PACU unit, which is the post anesthesia care unit to monitor me. And I thought I was fine. (laughs) Oh my goodness, Anita. And then we're going back to this issue of my blood pressure. Mm. So it turns out, I'm just going to, cause I am going through this, like it's literally, I'm going around and around and the same thing. Cause that's literally what happened. I ended up having pregnancy related, um, hypertension. Um, basically my hypertension was exacerbated because of the pregnancy and I ended up having preeclampsia, um, because of the pregnancy. And apparently, even though I gave birth, I'm still at risk. So um, until they were able to find a cocktail of medicines that mm-hmm. can control my blood pressure, um, I was not in a safe zone. I'm still not in a safe zone because um, apparently you're at risk for six weeks after delivery. Oh, wow. And and when you say at risk, and you know, keep in mind, I'm, I'm new to to be completely honest, you know, I hear the word hypertension and I nod my head. Uh, but um, are you at risk? What are you particularly at risk for right now? The high blood pressure? Well, so I have that, but the preeclampsia right. part, I'm sorry, I didn't explain that. So I was at risk okay. for preeclampsia, which again, you know, uh, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just basing this off of my knowledge. Um but with preeclampsia, you can end up in organ failure. You end right, up at risk right. for seizures and right. uh, death mm-hmm. as well. So I was still not in the um, safe zone. So uh, originally the intent was, oh, we need to save the baby. We need to save the baby. But then after mm-hmm. I gave birth, it was, we need to save Sanjeev. We need to save Sanjeev because it's going to go left really quickly. And that was what was happening was that even though I was, I was no longer pregnant, uh, my hormones apparently just was in this, and this is what this can happen. This doesn't happen to everyone, but this can mm-hmm. happen. 
um, where um, due to the hormones, everything's get everything gets so exacerbated that your body then goes into this, you have this potential for preeclampsia, which, um, you know, based on the labs and whatever, it's very concerning for the um, medical team because, you know, they don't want that to happen because I can then end up not here anymore because of it. So yeah, yeah. yeah that was pretty crazy. And even the the nurses at one point was like, Sandrine, we're going to take your phone away. <laughs> because oh, I was no, were you Googling? Were you Googling? No, no, no. I was just okay. constantly on my phone. <laughs> and they felt that that was a contributor to my blood pressure. But it wasn't. I, I needed to tell, like, everyone um, what was happening. And, you know, my friends and family were genuinely concerned. I mean, Anita, how many times did we, like, talk via text during the yeah. course of my hospital? So I was there for 10 days. Um, and, and you updated me, which tells me you were <laughs> updating a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I was definitely updating a lot of people, for sure, because I wanted everyone to know what was happening. And also, my shower was scheduled for the same weekend. So yeah. I needed people to know, like, hey, the shower is not happening. Um, don't uh, expect me to be available. <laughs> I assumed it was probably canceled, yeah. but I thought it was so uh, nice that you sent out an email just to let everyone <laughs> yes, know. Like, yes. Wow. Thoughtful, even in the middle yes. of uh, giving birth. Thank you. To, thank you to my I, friends. Yes. <laughs> I um. So right now, it sounds like you're you still have to take it easy. Yes. So have you been told when you're quote unquote out of the the danger zone? Um, yeah, so it'll be six weeks. So I have three more weeks of the specialty cocktail of medications, which is not uh, without having a lot of doctor's um, appointments. So I, I, the cardiologist who thankfully sent me to the hospital is now seeing me under his care. Um, mm-hmm. So I've seen him already initially. And the goal is to take me off of one of the medications because um, I think that all of this will resolve within six weeks, they're just in a position where they do not want to just take me off automatically because, um, it can, you know, lead to preeclampsia. Um, so they're just monitoring me. Um, I get a visiting nurse now, so I work for home care, uh, which I'm obviously not working now. I'm on my uh, leave because of uh, pregnancy. Um, but I'm getting home care. I'm a patient now being monitored for my blood pressure. And um, I get calls from a nurse practitioner who checks in on me. I have a nurse who also uh, checks in on me. And now that Gavin is home, he's officially home. Yay. Yay. <laughs> um, he also has a nurse who watches him because he was in, um, you know, neonatal care and he's a preemie. So they just want to make sure that he's achieving certain milestones um, to make sure that he's okay and he's on the right track. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of, uh, appointments, which again, I'm grateful for, um, you know, it's interesting being on the other side of things being in the medical field myself, but I'm grateful. Well, you know, obviously I don't, I don't want to jinx anything, but I'm glad you're out of the hospital. Uh, Gavin is out of the hospital, but I wanted to ask you that this has been such a journey for you. How are you feeling emotionally after all of this? And it's still happening right now you've you know now you have a new baby yeah you're you still have to take it easy yes how do you feel um I feel good I do feel good um I it's it's interesting because so another thing that um the doctors were all worried about even my nurses wow I I tell you amazing people (laughs) um they were all worried about 
postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Very concerned about that. Also acknowledging that I experienced trauma because Mm. it's not normal to have this um, IV drip three times during the course of one hospital stay. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, it was, uh, it was for me, it was like having an out of body experience. And I remember when I was out of it, because I felt it and I explained it to one of the nurses and she was just like, wow. And again, me being an oversharer, I'm very open. (laughs) So I told her exactly what happened. And, um, you know, she, she herself said, you know, Sandrine, I really want you to, notice if you're feeling sad like she was like there's a difference between like mommy blues I think that's what they call it mommy Um, blues and that's different than postpartum yes 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 like that's like okay like that's understandable because you know you're a new mom and that's expected um but then there's the not wanting to get up uh not wanting to do things being afraid to like maybe take care of the baby or hold the baby um also just um, feeling anxious um, to a degree where um, might be out of the ordinary for me. Um, And these are all signs that um, they wanted me to look out for, which is another reason why they ended up being super um, cautious about having me set up with uh, home care at home because with my particular uh, workplace, we do have a maternal health side of home care where we monitor for those specific things as well. So that was another reason why they made sure to um, include that in my plan of care, um, which I did find out. So interestingly enough, going back to insurance, the insurance originally did not approve of it. Mm, <laughs> and some, someone up top kind of vetoed that. Uh, again, I'm grateful. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, to, to kind of like make that happen. I didn't know that. Um, mm. it's been amazing. And I might get a little emotional. Wow. Aww. Pregnancy. <laughs> pregnancy. I, you know, when, by the way, I, I realize I asked you, how are you feeling? And, you know, I, I hope when I ask that, cause I, I know it's not the same thing, but sometimes I feel like I, I don't know if you ever get this impression that sometimes when people ask you, Oh, are you Okay. Sometimes like my fear is like, do they actually want to know if I'm okay? Do they just want to hear that I'm okay so they don't have to hear anything else? And I, if I didn't imply this, I, I hope that you know when I ask if you're okay, like that if you're not, like I can understand that. Right, right, and that right, it's, right. you know, okay not to be okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I didn't even think about until you said the, the, the thing about trauma. Mm-hmm. I, I have to assume that you don't know. May, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if this speaks to your experience, but like, did you really think about it being as a traumatic experience until like a doctor? I think you said somebody said to you, like, you've been through a trauma. Did you feel like once you heard that mm-hmm. you were like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It, and and it's it's interesting because, you know, obviously uh, in in the I'm sort of in the mental health field, but on the medical side of it as a social worker, right? I didn't realize that. <laughs> and um, one of my good friends, our mutual friend, in talking with her, I think that's when I realized I did experience trauma. Wow. Um, but the doctors kept mentioning it. And even um, one of the doctors who had initially saw me, who was part of the practice, she 
came to my bedside the day she, they all decided it was time to let me go. Although they did consider possibly letting me stay another day. And I was adamant, just let me go home. I knew staying would allow me uh, the ability to be closer to Gavin, but I also knew that I needed to be home and in my own comfort level, like to the point that Anita, I decided by like day three, I was, no, maybe, no, this is, I'm sorry, day three after giving birth, I should say, that Mm -hmm. I was going to dress in regular clothes. So I made Eric go home, pick out regular clothes for me to wear in the hospital so that I wasn't in that dreadful gown. Like, oh, the gown. Oh, God, the freaking <laughs> gown. Um, I didn't want that. And I remember walking all over the hospital and the nurses were like, Sandrine, are you kidding me? Like, your blood pressure is crazy. I was like, put the gown back. <laughs> I was like, I need this for myself, for yeah. my sanity. And yeah. I needed this for my baby. Like, I felt like literally if I gave myself the energy of being like, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be okay. My baby was going to be okay. And I said that to one of the doctors from the high-risk team. Um, And I said to her, I said, no. I I remember like putting my hands up like, I'm going to get out of here at the end of this week because it's going to happen. I'm speaking it into existence and I'm going to be okay so that my baby can be okay. Mm -hmm. And she, she really, she smiled. And she also said, she said, you know why you're going through this too on some level? She said, you know, you're a healthcare worker. Mm. Stress is real. And I appreciated her for saying that because you see, and I feel like a lot of us don't realize, like we go, 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 um, you know, in our day-to-day lives, not realizing all the stress that we experience on a day-to-day basis, whether, whether it's through work, our personal lives, being a caregiver, et cetera. We don't really acknowledge all of these things. And I think it's important that we acknowledge it. And for her to say that, I was like, wow, that's so true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have to imagine it's a it's a um, it must be a strange thing. I mean, I know I you know I know you you you're not a, a GYN, but it's like yes, you work in healthcare, so being on the other side of it, um, I can imagine that perhaps it feels like there's like a lo- a loss of control, since now it's like you're in someone else's hands. So I'm glad that you had a team. So. You know, as of now, it sounds like you're still in a period of you're on bed rest or not bed rest, but you have to take it easy for another uh, three weeks. weeks. Okay, so that means you have some some time at home. Right. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, Yes, I do. Do you uh, are you getting antsy at all? (laughs) Yes, very much so. I actually uh, one of my uh, girlfriends, uh, we usually like you know pre-pregnancy uh, I mean during pregnancy we always hang out like we love to have brunch we love to go to dinners and things like that um, we love to have a nice cocktail before pregnancy that's what it was <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, you know I was like let me know your schedule because I know she's she has plans to travel and she's one of my few friends that's actually like here because I know a lot of people that are just out of town you know um uh, you know, whatever. So I know that she's leaving soon. So I was like, can we plan a date? Like when I'm at the, like after three weeks left window of like the safe zone to like, for me to like be out and mingle because I'm going stir crazy. 
this is a lot. I don't yeah. miss work. I okay. Just, I don't miss work. I just miss <laughs> like being around people, like the sure. interaction, like seeing the day to day of like the outside world. And it's not that I have to be shut in, mm. but I also have a new baby at home and he has needs and yeah. it's a lot. The routine is so different. What's the routine right now? Wow. I think we're still trying to figure it out, <laughs> but um, it involves pumping, um, also feeding, also warming the bottles, also making the formula, um, also cleaning the pumping supplies, also uh, burping the baby, um, making sure that he's sleeping, making sure that he's changed. He also was recently circumcised. Oh, um, whoa. So that's okay. like a different like layer of things that the nurses kind of gave me a little bit of anxiety about where I don't want to leave him in any wet diapers in the event that like, God forbid, I don't want him to have an infection, you know, because he has a post circumcision. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and the thing is, he's like, uh, he's like immune compromised because he's so early. He should still mm. be in your belly kind of thing. He has to be fed every three hours. And before you know it, those three hours freaking come and you're like, what the hell? Yeah, it's crazy. The day just goes by so quickly. I'm grateful for the help that I've had because I've had like, um, you know, family that have come in. And so anytime someone comes, I have no shame in my game. I'm like, can you feed him for me? Um, and my husband's in great, but he's also tapped out because now our sleep. Yeah, our sleep is so different now. Uh, we have to take shifts and sleep in increments. <laughs> I, I feel like we may have talked about this a little bit before. It's something that I've um, come to understand that you need help after you've had a baby and that it's very difficult when it's just the two of you. So I think you mentioned it in our last episode, but if it's not too personal to ask what, like who's been helping, like who's been coming in to help? So my mom, thankfully, um, she lives upstairs. Uh, we rent uh, from mm -hmm. her. So we live on the lower level. She's upstairs. And so she um, comes over, you know, pretty quick, pretty you know, regularly. She, mm -hmm. she needs a little coaching cause you know, he's kind of small. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's older. She's, she's, I won't say her age, but she's older. <laughs> and yeah. you know, she has her own, um, limitations, physical limitations to her health. It's a little challenging for her, but she does a great job feeding him. Oh. Um, and her best friend who also lives in another part of the house, cause we live in a family house. Mm -hmm. Um, she has been phenomenal. Um, so and yeah, so she's been coming every day. Just and is she just, also older? Yeah, but she's not as old. She's, she's young. She's, she's, she's younger. She's yes. younger. Okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and so, and she also has a grandchild that she looks after and I, I call her the baby whisperer. Oh my <gasps> God, she's amazing. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> um, and so like, she's been helpful and my in-laws came yesterday. They've been helpful. I have friends that want to come and listen, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and I get it. Um, but I'm also choosing to allow people that are vaccinated to be around mm. my baby. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, yeah. not to say that, that, that makes them, makes him or us immune, but I've, I've also been vaccinated. So I think the, for my own sanity, the risks kind of outweigh the benefits in, at this point. And I feel like, and that's what people have told me time and time and again, ask for help. Like, don't mm. be afraid about it. And mm -hmm. I'm fully transparent and I'm going to ask for help if I need it. I have no shame in my game. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're, you're getting help. Honestly, like when you said family house, I'm like, oh, that's my dream. I was just saying 
uh, yesterday. I, I was having this conversation comes up a lot. I um, and I blame growing up in a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. I dream of being wealthy. And the older I get, the more I think about it, because more things come up like sick dads, and then thinking about what if I ever have a baby, and I'm like, money would be great, like more money would be great. And in my mind, the dream, and I guess some people have this, if you have like a big family is I'm like, I wish all my friends lived on the same block, or Mm. in one or if I were rich, and I had a mansion, we'd all live in it together. So it sounds like in this, in this your particular situation, having your mom has been helpful. But on the other hand, you also are a caregiver to her yes. as well. Um, so I am curious and, you know, it's something I wanted to ask you. Like, you know, I think as we get older, often as we get older, our parents are getting older and then that's when their health problems start. So you, before you were even pregnant, you know, I think you were already um I think your mom had had knee surgery. Correct. Um, she's had more than one surgery. Yes. Um, so what what is that like? Ha, like in terms of splitting your time? Like once you then decided, oh, okay, I'm I'm going to have a baby, and then became pregnant, and also you're a caregiver. What what was it like? What is it like balancing that? It's it's literally that's what it is. It's a balancing act. Um, I call it like the juggling act, so to speak, where um, I'm just coordinating my appointments and her appointments and trying not to um, overlap and, and make sure that I have it together so that I can take her to where she needs and make sure that she gets all of her follow up appointments done. Um, now, you know, things are a little different because I'm quote unquote having to be taken care of because I'm not allowed to drive and I have all these restrictions right now because of the um, complications that I've, I experienced and I'm on a lot of medications. Right. So um, <laughs> at this point, thankfully she doesn't have anything happening and um, it, it's not too bad. But I know during the pregnancy for me, it was a lot um, just making sure, okay, I have to take her to this appointment on this day. And then I have to go to this appointment on this day. You know, it was literally a lot of juggling, which thankfully I was able to um, take a lot of time off because my boss was really great. She understood my situation and was very, you know, super flexible with my schedule and saying like, whatever time you need, you know, do this, do that, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. never an issue. Mm -hmm. So that for me worked in my favor. I know not everyone can have that experience, but yeah, that really helped so that it wasn't so overwhelming, but there were times where, you know, you're like, dang. Um, Cause I, I think we might've talked about this before, but the flat tire incident that put me through the loop where I was on my way to take her to the doctor and I got a flat tire and I was trying to do all these things to get things accomplished for the day. And that was like such a bummer. (laughs) And and I, at least I uh, learned this from a a different friend of mine, her doctor Mm -hmm. basically had told her while she was pregnant that her baby was underweight and it was because she wasn't eating enough. She wasn't Mm -hmm. sitting enough. And this Mm -hmm. is a friend of mine who I guess similarly to the both of us is a mover and a shaker, likes to Mm -hmm. keep it going, likes to keep it moving. And the hardest thing for her to do is sit still. Um, And you're not supposed to get too stressed out, I think. Yeah. So that's really hard between your job and and being a a caregiver. Yeah. You know, but knock on wood, it sounds like you made it work, uh, but it's not easy. 
it's not easy. It's definitely not. And I, I feel like, yeah, because I'm older, um, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? Like the fact that I was exercising during pregnancy, like was a problem for people to the point that normally I share my exercise, um, you know, routine on social media. <laughs> I decided not to because same like the coffee. I didn't want to hear the talking or the comments or the, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, yeah. Were things a little bit more difficult? Yeah. I probably couldn't do spin class the way that I wanted to, (laughs) because apparently things move like your uterus kind of shifts and things. And, um, it just wasn't comfortable for me. And I remember like in the group, in the Facebook group that I belong to other women that do this class, there was this woman who was also her first pregnancy, um, was also like, really into doing spin classes through the same instructor that we both took and in this group. And she was also having similar like struggles, like mm-hmm. not for nothing, but again, oversharing moment, but my <laughs> vagina was feeling like different on the bike. It was so weird. Anita. Oh, I like, don't know. Did it hurt? Yes, it hurt. Mm. It was not like fun. And so I had to like modify my exercises to do like more like, uh, let's do like yoga, which I'm not a huge fan of yoga, but you know, hey, yeah, it's yeah. good for the baby. It's good for like for me to keep active. I'll do it. So I did that, you know, modified and it, it worked. And, you know, I was super like um, cautious about oversharing about my exercise routine <laughs> because I didn't want to hear like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. I mean, like at one point, someone in my circle, uh, my family, who again, you know, old school kind of thinking was like, oh, maybe you shouldn't be working anymore. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> I mean, I have to work. I got bills to pay. I want to like stretch out until like I'm 40 weeks pregnant or so I thought, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah. And like I kept hearing the take it easy. You got to take it easy. And that, that would annoy me. Like, it's like, what does that mean exactly? This seems like a good place to mention that, you know, I'd love to talk about quote unquote, geriatric pregnancy. I don't know why I'm saying quote unquote, (laughs) but I think after many conversations with you, it sounds like if you are 35 or older, Mm -hmm. that you you are having a geriatric pregnancy, correct? Correct. So, and, and is, do you think it's called a geriatric pregnancy because you're over a certain age and then now new different risks come into play here? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Again, not coming from a medical space. Um, I'm sorry, medical background um, in that space. But yes, I 100% agree and believe that because the uh, process and screenings that I had to go through, although now I'm finding that um, in talking to other pregnant women younger, um, under the 35, they do are they're doing certain routine things, but it seems as though there's specific, um, you know, tests and things that they'll do because you're a geriatric pregnancy because they consider that a high risk category, a high risk category. Yeah, because you're older. Yeah, and because you know you have mentioned, you know, people saying be careful, take it easy. Do you feel like part of this is because? Of, it was a geriatric pregnancy? Yes, I do. And mm. I also feel that there's also this misconception that pregnant women aren't supposed to do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, we're in 20, 2021. Like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, 
I feel like, especially when people are still in the process of trying to have a baby, mm-hmm. I've learned this, the, that the older I've gotten, I feel like the, the less, I, the more I understand that people don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I knew, I don't think I knew that you were trying. Um, and so at a certain point, you know, you, if, if you're still comfortable talking about this Mm -hmm. at a certain point, I think how I learned, you know, obviously you told me you were pregnant, but then you did mention after words, after you told me you were pregnant, that this was not the first time that you had been pregnant. Yes. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. So I've kind of, my husband and I have been married for four years. We've been together for a long time before we got married. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the course of our 15-year relationship, having kids was always something that we knew that we wanted. Mm-hmm. But it also wasn't that we were like felt pressured, like, oh my God, you have to have a kid now. No, I kind of just wanted to just kind of see where it goes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The seeing where it goes, where we were like, Actively trying didn't start until I would say maybe the fall of this year. Um, Prior to that, we had talked about it, but I was hesitant this past year, one, because of COVID. Mm. Uh, And then before that, I found out that I had like thyroid issues and there's like super like uh, strict protocols, depending on what kind of thyroid issues that you have. When you're screened for certain things, um, like I had to have like, I can't remember the word, but like I ha- I have to like have my thyroid screened on a every six month basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's annually where I have to take a pill that's radioactive to like check um and see like what's happening with the thyroid gland like it like gives like a view of like I guess everything lights up when they do certain images or something Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. see like the size of the gland and what's happening you know it's more involved process so then when that happens you're not allowed to get pregnant for a certain point also like depending on your levels it might not be safe for the baby so this was another reason why I was part of the high-risk team and also um having to go through like all these different labs and tests and things on a regular basis to check my thyroid levels throughout the course of the pregnancy because of it so I was before that before getting pregnant this time I was waiting for the doctor to say okay you're good to go So by September-ish, I think we got the okay, maybe a little bit before that, we got the okay, like, okay, you're good to go. Go ahead, start getting pregnant. So I think we waited. um, And then maybe September-ish, we tried. Surprisingly, I took a test at home at some point back in November. Um, I remember... I remember it was in November, early November, where I was like, oh, shit, I'm late. <laughs> I'm never late. Mm. I'm one of those people. I'm always regular. So either something's going on with my body or I'm pregnant. So I took a pregnancy test, found out that, why, yes, I was pregnant. And I thought it was odd because I wasn't feeling like any symptoms. Because normally when you're pregnant, you have certain symptoms. No symptoms. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is going to be great. Call the OB, who was my gynecologist at the time. And I told the office what was going on. They said, well, you know, generally speaking, we'll see you at the 12-week mark because that's when your, like, pregnancy is considered, like, okay, we can do the sonogram. It's a viable pregnancy. So they make you wait 
12 weeks. And I was like, is this a COVID thing? So me being new to this experience, I had no idea. Mm, I thought you were going to say, me being new to this experience, I Googled it. Right, right, right. Yeah, no. Well, (laughs) so interestingly enough, when you say Google, I ended up on these like boards. There's like these pregnancy boards. Women out there may know about these, but like there's one, um, what to expect, I think is one of the ones, what to expect when you're pregnant. There's another one, baby something, I can't remember the name offhand, but there's all these like pregnancy boards. And Mm -hmm. I found out that this is very common where they'll basically say, you don't go to the OB until you're at the 12 or 13 mark where they'll then, then do the sonogram and they'll start your prenatal care. So me knowing that, uh, because again, I peed on the stick, saw that I was pregnant, called the OB office and they said, oh no, you got to wait. So I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And I started taking the precautions, like not drinking, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Over the course of a few days, I had like heavy, heavy bleeding, the worst bleeding of my life. I did not know what it was. And then I think part of it, I was in shock. Um, But I remember, I know it happened on a Friday. I probably found out I was pregnant or I tested positive on a stick on a Monday, Tuesday. And then by Friday, this crazy bleeding happened. And again, remember I said that I didn't have any symptoms of pregnancy, like, you know, the nausea, the just not feeling like super great or whatever happens during pregnancy. And I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be smooth, but it wasn't the case. It was that I had what's called a chemical pregnancy, which is a very early miscarriage. So I then that happened on a Friday that weekend I was bleeding crazy like nonstop. Then on a Monday I ended up calling the OB and um, I called the office and just canceled my appointment. Didn't even say anything. Just said I'm canceling my appointment. Whatever done. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. no problem. That's what I like. I think thought in my head, like, whatever, no issue. And then the Tuesday of that same week, I had an appointment with my regular doctor, just a follow-up appointment, I think for my annual or something. Yeah. And so I saw her and I told her what happened and she acknowledged that I had a chemical pregnancy. Sounds like what it was at least, you know, she wasn't an OB, Um, but she said, it sounds like it. And she actually validated my feelings because I guess it was on some level a trauma, yeah, it was a trauma, right? So, yeah. because then I realized all the emotions that I was experiencing and it was a delayed reaction, so to speak. And I had this, at first I had this matter of fact attitude and then I realized what happened. And then maybe two weeks or so later, I believe it was around Thanksgiving, I think it really, really hit me. And I didn't even tell a lot of people. So I think a lot of people, when they hear this, if, if any of my, any any people in my circle hear this episode, they're going to be like, oh, you went through that? Yeah. <laughs> that part I didn't yeah. share. I think it's just yeah. that I was just very um, overwhelmed by it. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. us women, in talking to many other women that have gone through the same thing, miscarriages are very taboo to talk about. The idea of trying is also very taboo to talk about, you know, because many of us struggle. And yeah, yeah, Yeah. which is why I get why it's not okay to ask a woman, what are you waiting for? Like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. it's the worst thing you can say to someone because how do you know? You don't know. Right. Yeah. You don't know (laughs) what they're going through. You don't know 
Yeah. If they know if they can have children. Right, exactly. This... Among other things. Yeah, yeah. So for me, um, I get that. And so it was around Thanksgiving where I finally acknowledged like, oh, okay, this all happened. And okay, but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to I'm gonna get through it. And, you know, December came. It was around Christmas, just before Christmas. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't get my period. But I was like, let me Google. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> But I was like, maybe it's normal because I experienced this uh, miscarriage. And, you know, some things said yes. And some things said, oh, well, you may be pregnant again. And I remember my regular doctor, this is my regular doctor, not the OB, had actually said, you might be surprised, Sandrine. You might get pregnant again right away. And I was like, eh, not true. Well, I peed on a stick. And it was, it was, it was positive. That was a Sunday. And then the next day I called the OB office mm-hmm. and I said, look, this is what happened. I, the last time you guys told me 12, 13 weeks sonogram, I, I, I don't want to wait this time. Like, what, what should I do? And they're like, let me talk to the doctor. Talk to the doctor. Doctor said, and that was a Monday, right? Doctor said, have her come, have her come Wednesday. I think that was Christmas Eve, actually. Yeah. She confirmed it with, me doing a urine test and also a sonogram. I don't remember if I heard the heartbeat. I don't think I heard the heartbeat. I think I saw the image of what looked like a blob. And she said, Sandrine, you're pregnant. And, she, and this is the kicker. I was five weeks pregnant. <gasps> Isn't that crazy? Wow. We're like thinking like, did this really happen? Like <laughs> how? And it was just like, wow, is this the universe? And I don't know why I need it, but I had such a great feeling From the time that I found out that I was that second time, I just knew everything was going to be okay. And we didn't tell anyone um, until uh, maybe January. I remember telling my mom and I had to tell her because, and this is going back to the juggling it with the caregiving situation and like your own stuff. Um, So... I had to take her to an appointment, but then my doctor, the OB, wanted me to have like all this lab labs done to make sure that this pregnancy was going to be viable based on what happened before. So I had to tell her like, look, mom, I'm pregnant again. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we're going to see what's happened, but I have a good feeling. And this was her response. Shh, don't, don't say anything. You know, <laughs> like almost don't speak it into existence because we might jinx it. Is there anything else you feel like, you know, a a person listening to this podcast who's uh, who who might want to have a a baby someday? Any tips, anything you've learned uh, that you feel like you didn't know until you had Gavin? Well, I think one of the things I feel like people constantly say, like, you can't do this, you can't do that. Do your own research, you know, um, definitely, you know, talk to your doctors, ask your doctor. They're the ones that are like helping you through this journey. Um, And hopefully you have a doctor who is good. (laughs) If you don't, don't second guess it, find a new one. Um, I think that's very important. I feel like a lot of us might feel like, oh, I just have to go through it because I'm already with this person. Whether you're 20 weeks, 30 weeks, something is off. You don't feel comfortable with your particular doctor. You know what? Find somebody else. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm 
happy that you had really good doctors and that you have a really good support system. And uh, I appreciate you letting me poke and prod you with all these questions. Oh, of course. I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I hope to people listening that it's it's nice to hear somebody be open and honest about their experience. You know, Sandrine, to be honest, it's like, I don't know if I I'm not sure if I still don't know if I would if I want to have children and I'm 33. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we know that the clock that it starts as a woman, it gets louder and louder. Your bi- biological clock. So they say. Okay. So they so they say. But mm. on the other hand, I don't personally, I don't see the good in forcing it. Right. The pressure, the pressure right. that you get from other people. And when I quiet my brain enough uh, compared to other people's experiences and, you know, um, to, 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 to other women I know that have already had children, it helps me realize what I actually want. At, the, at this current moment, I apparently not. No, I'm right. not. Uh, that's not where I am. But to, 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 to witness that you did have a baby at 40 and you did wait i give it gives me hope we unfortunately um have to like or we feel many of many women when i say we many women feel that uh they have to do this or they have to do that like in regards to they have to have a baby by this certain time or they have to have a baby at all and i feel like why do you have to do it because someone says so no do it for you, whatever it is that you want to do. Like, I'm just waiting for someone to tell me, oh, so when's the next one's going to happen? When, when oh, yeah. Which, Yay. by the way, I mean, maybe I say this now, but my husband and I have decided, no, after this experience, mm. I, <laughs> you can't pay me to go through it. I'm just being <laughs> full transparent. And uh, I myself, I'm an only child. Anita, you're an only child. And we came out just fine. Okay. Yeah. So, that's all I'm going to say. And if I want, if I have that urge to say, hey, let me um try for another, I'm getting a dog. We are getting a dog. Okay? <laughs> so. The dog can hang out. Yes. With Gavin. Exactly. Obviously. Exactly. Yeah. I definitely have similarly heard this from people I know who had children who then hear when's the next one Ugh. it's like good lord <sighs> you know I, I, at this i i know i i've never even had the urge and maybe it's because i'm an only child <laughs> but i have never had the urge to ask somebody when they're having the next kid yeah well thank you sandrine for being the subject of today's episode until next time everybody take care of yourself and each other Care Talkers is a More Banana production executive produced by me, Anita Flores, and Sandrine Etienne. It's edited by Alana Levinson and produced by Caitlin Moldenhauer. Thank you to the Reverend John Delore for the music. You can follow me, Anita Flores, on Instagram and Twitter at Anita Jutina. That's A-N-I-T-A-J-E-W-T-I-N-A. And you can follow me, Sandrine Etienne, on Instagram at Misguided Notions. Help us get the word out by telling a friend about our show today. Make sure to rate and review Care Talkers and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line or a voice memo at caretalkerspodcast at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-E-T-A-L-K-E-R-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Send us your feedback, questions, or topics we should chat about. 